Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Going For It, a production of Professional Sports Partners. I'm your host, Ben Crook. Well, it took a year, but the 2020 Olympic and Paralympic Games are finally almost upon us. There's a host of talking points from athlete and fan safety and well-being to the impacts of Rule 40, diversity and inclusion. We talk about all that and more with today's guest, Rocky Harris, the CEO of USA Triathlon, the national governing body for multi-sport disciplines such as triathlon, duathlon, and more. Rocky is a sports business veteran with stops in the NFL, MLS, and college athletics, as well as a stint in the corporate world that we'll get into later on in the episode. Really enjoy talking to Rocky about USA Tri's role in the mission growing at both the elite level with Olympic athletes, as well as growing the sport at the grassroots and amateur level, and the major projects he and the organization are pursuing. Enjoy. Appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure with, um, you know, at the time of this recording, we're just, you know, we're in the weeks countdown to the Olympics. I'm sure it's a, it's a pretty busy time for you, huh? Yeah, it's incredibly busy. And I think for us, especially since there's been a lot of uncertainty for our elite athletes, they've been able to get back to racing the last month. Uh, and, and, you know, we still have many that need to qualify in the next two weeks for the games. Um, but it is exciting that, that actually after a year of a hiatus, we had a few races that the athletes are back out there doing what they love. Um, and uh, right now, the our, our events across the world are very safe compared to many other events because they're outdoor. There's natural physical distancing. So it made it really easy for us to transition back in. But the next five weeks or so are going to be incredibly busy. And uh, we're one of the you know ha- uh, handful of national governing bodies that also oversees our para program as well. So we are just as committed to the the Paralympics as we are to the Olympics. So we essentially have two games stacked against each other. Um, But we're really happy the athletes are going to be able to to compete. It's important uh, for them. I I think that when we we look at, you know, what our role and responsibility is, is to make sure that they're prepared and equipped to have success uh, at at the games. And and right now we feel like we are right now today. We're the only country that uh, have the ability to qualify three men and three women with uh, the, the maximum slots. So as long as, you know, our, our men do well in the next two weeks, we're going to likely be the only country to, qual- to have a full slate of both men and women in the games. Um, and on Paris side, we're, we're among the best in the world there, too. So we expect to have a, a really good July and August. How, how nerve wracking has the I mean, there's been so much in the past year that's been going on. And for you, this is going to be your first Olympics with USA Triathlon and it gets postponed. Uh, you have a pandemic and like you mentioned, you know, not just your elite Olympic athletes, you have Paralympics, you have the grassroots level that you're that you're working on. I mean, a, a lot of people have had a rough 2020 start of 2021. This one had to be quite a beast for you as well. Yeah, I think professionally, it was by far the hardest, most challenging year. Um, had a lot of sleepless nights. But, you know, I always I always was thinking about like, that this is like my job and there are people like suffering from the pandemic, like really like dealing with physical issues, you know, uh, 
dying and like many other bigger issues. So I try to put it the, the terrible year where I was, you know, uh, whining a lot in my beer at night about, you know, what's wrong in the world. And I put in the context about, you know, that, that this is sport and that this is supposed to be fun. Um, and that while we're not able to do it now, we will at some point. And so, yeah, we're, we're an event based company. You know, we have over 4,000 sanctioned events in our country. Um, but what I found with our elite athletes and, and, and uh, specifically is that we had to really focus on, on their mental health and supporting them through it because this is, they've been training for this their whole lives. Um, and then, it, and then it's been postponed. So last year was more about like helping them with resources, support. Um, we, we ended up signing a partnership with a mental health company to provide them with free services. So it really became more about them outside of the sport and supporting them. Um, and, you know, we were a big proponent to postponing the games last year. We were one of the voices behind the scenes that were pushing for it, not because we didn't want to compete, but because we felt like it was an, a disadvantage to our athletes in America because pools were being closed across the country. And we and our athletes weren't going to have a, a fair shot at competing at the highest level. Um, but this year, I think it would be a disservice to the athletes if, if we don't allow the athletes to compete. So I'm a big proponent for, for uh, going forward with the games. I personally, and this is just my opinion, not anyone else's, but I don't think fans should be at, at most of the events. I think that we should allow the athletes to compete. Um, you know, if Japan was further along with, with their vaccination uh, implementation, I'd feel differently, but I think that the, we need to do anything we can to allow the athletes to compete. And if that means no fans at some events, uh, then that means no fans. Um, again, that's my personal opinion, but I think that that's, that's, um, that's a reasonable way to manage this during a pandemic. When it comes to our age group athletes, which we have about 400,000 of them across the country, um, they actually, and I'm one of them, I mean, I'm somebody who loves to compete in endurance sport and, and have for forever. It was a hard year for us too. I mean, not at the level of Olympians or Paralympians, but it, it was challenging for us because a lot of what we do is we train to race. Uh, we plan our lives around going on these racecations and, and, and impacting our local communities. So for many of our, you know, age group athletes, there's actually, you know, hard in different ways, really hard in different ways. And so we, we try to come up with resources and support for them so they could have a successful year. We did virtual. We were the first one ever to do a virtual triathlon um, and just did a lot of things to allow them to still participate in our sport, even though they couldn't participate in events. Um, but like I said, our, our events have come back in, uh, in full force because they are safer um, than most, you know, most uh, events you can do. So we are some of the first events to come back across the country. And now we're we're you know, not back to normal, but, but getting there. So going back to, to the comments about the Olympics real quick, I mean, how are you feeling, you know, going into Japan? Um, obviously, there's been a, a lot of local concern about bringing the games in. Like you talked about, you feel like it wasn't, um, it was the correct decision to, to push pause on them last year. Um, how is, how are your athletes? How are your counterparts across the world, how, how is the kind of Olympic community um, feeling, you know, heading into July? Yeah, actually last year we, we surveyed our, our national team athletes to see how they felt about moving forward. And every single one of them said they want to move forward as, you know, as long as we can create a safe experience. And so we've been, our athletes have been traveling a lot. We just had an, a, a race in Japan three weeks ago. And the bubble that they set up there was incredibly effective. Just 
they did a, the the community the the local organizing committee um, made our athletes feel safe. They can still train during it, um, and so we know that the 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 biggest issue is actually the travel. It's not the events, um, and so where uh, our athletes and across the world, athletes uh, are are uh, overwhelmingly supportive of moving forward with the games, and they're the ones that are most at risk. I mean, I'm scheduled to go to the games right now. I'm you know that the the credential could be pulled at any time as they they minimize numbers, which would be fine with me all i care about is making i don't care where our athletes compete i just don't want them to lose this opportunity and uh and so that's really what we're focused on is making sure that as long as um the the ioc and for us the usopc united states olympic and paralympic committee um do what they've already done which has made athlete safety the focus then then i'm fully supportive of the games moving forward if something comes up that i don't know about in the next five weeks or so um, I, I may change my mind, but I don't think so because they put a lot of time and effort into the safety aspect for, for the athletes in the local community. Going into the business side a little bit, uh, the I, obviously the the narrative right now and this year heading in is like you're talking about athlete safety and just the broader conditions of the world that we're living in. Um, but heading into 2020, I know all the conversations were around Rule 40 and and the ability for um, athletes to have non-IOC uh, sponsors actually interact with them during that. Um, curious, you know, obvi- I think that that talk has died down coming in as we're now in a 2021 Olympics. Um, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the impact that you saw um, that having and the impact that you've seen it have um, both with your athletes, with your own uh, partnership commitments that you're, that you're going forward with. Um, what's the, what's the impact that rule 40 and those changes have had on your business? Yeah, not, not much in terms of on our business, but if I to take it back to like the 30,000 foot level, I think that across uh, our country and really the world that athletes, uh, are, are getting the rights and, and, uh, you know, pushing for the rights that they really deserved years ago, they just didn't have. So a lot of this is just an evolution of sport. It's not, um, and so we were fully supportive of, of evolving uh, Rule 40 to make it so the athletes can monet, you know, <clears throat> monetize their success during the games and not have a window blocked out where they can't. And so that it was really important to us. And we were, again, supportive of it because to us, we want to do everything we can to make sure our athletes can be successful. And it doesn't we're not competing against our athletes for dollars because we, we're, you know, we're, we want to support them. And the more they make, the better it is for our sport and the better it is for them. And so we've, we've really been supportive from the beginning on it. And we so just, you know, to, t- to take this again to, the, to a larger context, like we actually people are like, yeah, you're moving forward with the games to make money. Yeah, that's true at the highest level with IOC and some of the big we lose money on the games. We don't make like us. We lose we by sending our all the millions of dollars we invest in it. We don't get that back in direct revenue on any level at any level. And so it's not uh, for us. It really is about giving our athletes the opportunity to not only perform at the highest level, but be able to monetize their success. And so we'll support them. We've, uh, you know, we've given them all the information. We've been connected sponsors to many of them. So to us, it's really important that uh, we don't try to land grab all the, the, there's an endless amount of corporate dollars out there, an endless amount. Um, by an athlete getting us a, a deal to help support them, it doesn't take away deals for us. And anyone who thinks that way is very small minded, in my opinion. You bring up a couple of points in there that kind of relate to, I think, you know, thinking about how your Olympic athletes and the and that elite level kind of 
filter through the rest of the organization, especially as um, a little bit more of a niche sport uh, where, you know, you're not on broadcasting events weekly on major broadcast networks. So the Olympics really are your time to shine. So how do both the Olympics and those athletes, those elite athletes having sponsorship deals, how does that play into effect, you know, how you're able to build, you know, USA triathlon's mission and growing, you know, at the grassroots levels and, and elsewhere. Yeah. So, you know, um, when it comes to, you know, our sport, it's a, it's a participatory sport, right? So it's not a spectator sport, like almost every place I've ever worked in most sports in America. So our future um, opportunity and potential is to turn it into not only a participatory sport, but also a spectator fan sport as well. So, you know, what we have to do with our sport is to better improve the broadcast capabilities, improve uh, increasing our elite athlete exposure and professional athletes. Um, letting people know who they are. And the games are a great way to do that. There, and, and we have a whole plan around leveraging that to make sure that we give them the most exposure possible. The long term, we really just need to build fans and, and supporters. And we believe that that can come through media and investments in our athletes. In just the last few years, we have a professional triathletes organization that's come about. They've invested millions of dollars in a prize money for elite athletes, millions of dollars into improving the broadcast. Um, and so we're, we have a lot of investment in our sports from outside groups right now that are really going to elevate it and again do what i hope it does which is not just make it publicly in every four-year type thing which most olympic sports are um and and i feel like the where where we're really fortunate ben is that the future i believe outside of us you know where we have potential around gaining spectators and fans and some media uh, assets for us it's really i believe we already we already have the model for the future i think that companies, I'm already seeing this, uh, are investing more into participatory sports like golf and us and others, where you're more uh, embedded in the sport because you participate. You don't just sit in the stands for a few hours every, you know, 10 times a year. So they're, they have more affinity towards our brand. They're more supportive. They get more involved. They know more about the sport. Then, so it's actually like the future, I feel like, is more experiential and participatory where, where companies are going to want to invest because what I've seen in terms of the levels of affinity are off the chart, more so than any fans I've and I've been a part of some really avid fan bases, participatory sports is not even close. Because if you're training for 12 to 15 hours a week and your your whole life's built around racing and you're much more committed than somebody shows up and tailgates for a few hours. And and sponsors are seeing that. And that's why our sponsorship revenue's grown so much so much over the last few years. Talking about the the broadcast opportunities are there ways that you can um that you can accentuate the participatory nature during those broadcasts so that you're so that you're kind of transferring and making that broadcast experience feel different than you would for a football game for example yeah so where where our sport has had success is iron man has a show um at the uh, uh after the world championship where it's like a two-hour human interest show but it also has uh, uh, the race highlights and it and it talks about you know the age groupers and elites throughout it and the stories you know someone overcoming cancer and that's done more to grow our sport than almost any media asset probably it has done more than any other media asset what our sport is missing though is a true live event broadcast that you that you can't miss because it's produced so well that's telling the stories that's a huge gap in our sport so i think we actually do a really good job tying the age group 
uh, amateur athletes with the elite pros and, and, and showing because that is one thing that's really neat about our sport is we both get to compete on the same, you know, courses. So it'd be like, you know, Tom Brady throws a pass on a Sunday and then a bunch of guys like me and you're out there throwing passes. That doesn't happen in other sports, right? We're really, and we compete at the same courses at the same time, like just right at, and a wave right after them. So there's this deep connection between our, our age group athletes and our elite athletes because we feel like we're, 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 we're together. We're the real, the real issue is, is around producing an attractive live event, race, a competition that can go outside of our audience of, you know, we have about 2 million triathletes in America. So we need to go beyond that group of the 2 million. Um, we had a broadcast this last year in December that reached, uh, that had 1.2 million viewers. So we're starting to see that it's improving, but we, we do need, that's an area for us, I would see as opportunity and potential growth. Um, to not, to be in sport and not have a live event product that is attractive, that, that uh, moves people to watch it, even if they don't care about swim, biking and running, that's when we'll know that we've made it. And my goal is to get that in order in our country and not for us to be like the one in the middle of it all, but us to be the glue that brings all these groups together before LA 2028. So we have a, a media asset that we're all really proud of in our country that we can all get behind. Now, how do you balance you talking about getting beyond the 2 million um, you know, people who are already that committed audience, how do you balance, you know, wanting to be on, you know, a major, you know, broadcast on the ESPN or a CBS or what have you, and maybe the opportunities that are available um, with new streaming platforms and maybe new technologies that you can utilize that maybe keep you within uh, that audience and don't expand as well. How do you balance, you know, the, the, the attractiveness of both of those platforms. Yeah, so I think for us, uh, our, our real uh, priorities are, are number one, to grow the sport and to serve our constituents because we're a nonprofit. Our job is to make the sport better in America. So what we, when we make every decision, uh, that, that it comes in front of monetization, that comes in front of many things. So when it comes to taking care, so those are two different models. One is more mass audience. Uh, maybe, you know, th there's there's real advantages to that. There's also real advantages to serving content directly to, you know, our constituents, because our constituents, again, are very avid. They'll go, they'll go where we are. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's not, it's not an either or proposition. I think that what we have right now is that targeted direct uh, on-demand type uh, product. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, through World Triathlon, our international governing body, they have, you know, uh, really good streaming platform. Ironman does it through, you know, has done it through Facebook and Amazon in the past. Super League's done a great job on YouTube. That's our professional league. Um, and now professional triathletes organization. And again, Ironman has uh, a show on NBC and, and, and so does professional triathletes organization. And, and Challenge uh, is another one that has, uh, so there, these are all TV products, media products, assets in our country that, uh, that I don't feel like we've done a good job of bringing them together and making it so people understand them and can follow them. So I think right now, if I had to say where the, the opportunity is, is what I mentioned before, it's a live event broadcast 
either on a streaming service that reaches a broader audience. So it doesn't have to be like password protected, like maybe, you know, Amazon Prime or something like that, that reaches a large audience or going to one of the networks and coming up with a long term partnership that gets us through LA 2028. Again, I don't want to be a media company. That's not what USA Triathlon is about. I have a background in it. So my job, I see it as a facilitator and somebody who brings groups together to try to leverage those assets so the people who are investing in them are going to benefit directly through the monetization of them. And we're going to benefit by seeing the sport grow. So uh, I think that those kind of touch on some of the, you touch on some of the collaborative partnerships that you have, not only within the the business world, but within the, um, within the multi-sport community as a whole, you know, like you said, you're just, you're a, uh, a governing body and there's, you know, there's all these other um, organizations around, not only the country, but the world that you're kind of working with. Is that difficult? Is that good? Is, you know, how, what are the challenges of being kind of, like you said, more like a mediator in that space and not being, you know, a centralized league where you can sell media rights to, you know, whoever and you have a built out package? Yeah, so we could do that. We choose not to because we think that there are experts in our sport that are better equipped to do that and do it better than we can. Um, and it would take our eyes off of what our mission is. But I, you know, it's very complicated. And I know from working in, I'll give you kind of the lay of the land. When I worked in pro sports, um, we didn't have constituents. We I mean, Fans were fans and it was really about serving the owner. Honestly, if the owner approved something, as long as we didn't do anything to make fans or sponsors unhappy, we just would make decisions that day and do whatever we thought was good. Right. When I went to uh, college athletics, it was very constituent driven. You know, you had alumni, you had university leadership, you had uh, students, you had student athletes, you had donors, you had like all, all these different constituents. So uh, I really had to learn how to stop and pause and think about how every decision impacts those constituents and try to make decisions. You're never going to make perfect decisions or the right decision maybe every time, but this, the best decision for, for the, they would, uh, they would, they would not have unintended consequences on any of your key constituents. So that really helped me when I got to USA triathlon to look at, okay, who are the key groups? Who are the big, who are the groups that we need to collaborate and partner with? And then who do we need to work with? And so the way that this works, and I'll try not to, to bore you too much, but it was really, it's really to me, the most undervalued asset in America and sport is is the national governing bodies. We um, do so much. We grow the sport from the grassroots level all the way to the elite level. And we haven't done a good job telling our story and aggregating those assets to uh, better monetize them and grow our sports. So there's groups right now within the national governing bodies that are doing that. But if you think about it, the IOC, uh, International Olympic Committee, has done a great job of monetizing the assets. The United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee are a fantastic job monetizing the assets. Um, and then we have our international federation that we also serve that, that has done a decent job of it. Where The governing bodies are where all the value is. And we haven't driven that value. So I think for us, it's re it was really exciting to come out and you know talk to our constituents, form some collaborative partnerships, and really uh, over a few years, open my eyes above that and say, man, the reason why I took this job 
was because I love the sport, because I want to see it grow, but because I saw huge opportunity here. And, it, and it's the same opportunity I saw in the NFL back before they were, uh, they were always a good business, but back before they really had like presidents that were focused on running the business. I was fortunate to be a part of it then. And same with Major League Soccer as it was growing and seeing it growth and, and grow and then college athletics as it was growing. I mean, we we moved our revenue from like, I don't know, 57 or 8 million to 105 million during five my five and a half years there. Uh, so, so, and I see the same opportunity in the Olympic space and the Olympic and Paralympic space. Um, and so what's really exciting is that while there's all this kind of constituents and all these things that um, they actually help us make better decisions. And we make decisions in the best interest of sport instead of our bottom line. And that's the lens I use for everything. Are, is USA Try in kind of a unique position in terms of being able to serve constituencies? Because like you mentioned, you have both you have all levels of your athletes and your key constituents at the same events doing the same things. Whereas, um, you know, maybe at, at other and other governing bodies, you have a pretty clear distinction between the amateur and the pro levels. Does that give you kind of a leg up in terms of being able to, you know, provide those key services to the whole of your constituency? Yeah, I think it does in, in a lot of ways because uh, we understand what the elite athletes are going through, but on a very micro level, right? Like we, so there's a level of respect there. Um, and I think that that helps, I, I think, you know, that in, in a big way. And the way that I, I look at uh, how we manage things is that it, I, I believe in people first in general. And that means like taking good care of my staff, number one. And if I have a staff that loves working here, that we have this great environment, that we just have a lot of fun together, like kicking butt and taking names, then our constituents feel that, our elite athletes feel that, our age group athletes feel that. And so over the last few years, I've really focused on looking inside of our organization and making a lot of corrections there. But that's what I've seen with our sport is that, you know, uh, uh, our staff, um, our elite athletes and age group athletes uh, are now seeing that we are there for them. And that makes a big difference in the way that, of them giving us the benefit of the doubt. Actually, last year, we, during the pandemic, we, we got recognition from outside magazine and front office sports as the best place to work. And that was the reason why I'm proud. It wasn't like something that we nominated ourselves from. It was voted on by our staff. And we beat out you know hundreds of organizations. And what that showed me is that uh, if we make this a, a amazing place to work where they know that their role is important and impactful. It's serving our constituents and growing our sport that the athletes of all levels, our race directors, our coaches, our clubs, everyone we serve, our sponsors are all going to feel it. And we're seeing that now, like the, the fruits of our labor are paying off now because when I got here, there was actually a real separation between elite athletes and age group athletes. And it wasn't because I did anything special. It was we weren't doing a good job explaining that we can serve both and serve them both well, that I, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I have an, a high performance program that focuses on elite athletes and the rest of the organization focuses on age group athletes and that we can learn a lot from both and that they can learn a lot from each other. So I don't hear complaints from our age group athletes at all about why are we investing in elite athletes? Why are we doing this? They actually now, I think, see that we are about to grow our sport, to make it the best sport that we can make it. It takes all levels being successful. I want to be the best in the world on the elite level, and I want our age groupers to be the best in the world, and I want our races to be the best. I want everything to be the best in the world. And, I, and, and that's you know obviously a very general statement. But I think, the way, the, again, back to my philosophy, the way you do that is by focusing on the inside out. 
Yeah, I, it did strike me, you know, researching um, ahead of this, kind of how much of an emphasis it seems like, especially over the past year, um, you guys have placed, like you were talking about before, on the mental health of athletes, on supporting. Obviously, you, like you talked about, you're a, you're a nonprofit, like you're here to serve um, these athletes. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, those efforts, um, not just, you know, like you talked about the, the um, mental health of your Olympic athletes, but how you're trying to serve, you know, the full health needs of your, your entire constituency. Yeah. And I think it's really important. And I learned this actually in college athletics when I was there is that, you know, when you're just focused on either performance or academics or like one metric or one, instead of looking at the whole athlete, it can really limit your impact on people. And so I think what we have to look at is everybody is a whole person. And there's the physical piece, there's nutrition, there's sleep, there's health, there's mental health, there's all these different components. And what we were focused on before was competing in races, right? And and for in college athletics, I saw this because we were focused on really two things, having them be successful students and, uh, and, and athletes. So winning and then getting good grades and graduating. Because we were, we were graded on graduation. And I, I tell this story often, but I had that a wake up moment, aha moment when one of our uh, student athletes who graduated with a master's degree was murdered at a nightclub one night. It was a Sunday night or maybe Saturday night. And I remember this very clearly because I said, oh, my gosh, what were they doing at the nightclub? Well, they were a bouncer there. So while we prepared them to graduate and get a master's degree, we didn't prepare them for success in life. So that showed me right there, we need to think about things in a, on a bigger and broader uh, scale. So that was one, one piece. And then from that, we learned that the mental health components, preparing people mentally for what transitioning out of sport and into quote, the real world is about the most important thing we can do in sport. And I felt like in the NFL and major league soccer and, and, and the pro sports, they do a really good job on your way in you know, rookie symposiums, all these things to get people prepared to not be taken advantage of. Uh, they do a terrible job on the way out. And I think they've gotten better in the last decade or so. But in college athletics, we uh, I felt like we were the leaders. We really focused on transitioning athletes to successful lives after sport. And we uh, have taken that same philosophy here at USA Triathlon. We created something, a program called Transition 3. Um, that allows in, in triathlon, you have two transitions, one between the swim and the bike and one between the bike and the run. So this is your transition out of the sport. And so it has all the components that we did in college athletics that made uh, successful, uh, you know, uh, whole athlete programs, you know, like resume writing, mentorship, you know, a personal brand, uh, branding, um, mental health support. Uh, so everything that we went to and talked to our athletes about what their needs were, and we built a program to help support them and help them uh, transition into life after sport. So that's just a real passion for me. And I think whether you're elite athlete, age group athlete, um, mental health uh, is now just integrated with sport. And it's not a separate thing that we say are a problem some people have. It's every one of us has anxiety, depression at different times in our life, depending on what's happening. I know if when uh, my two best friends died when I was a freshman in high school, I went through a real tough time for a year. 
and I needed mental health support, but that's not what we got, right? And athletes go through it at the highest level from pressure, from, and we have always uh, kind of hidden that in the corner and saying, well, we'll go, go, go talk to this. We have a sports psych person you can talk to. But now we're just out there in the open saying, this is healthy to talk about. And we're going to provide the resources, confidential, private resources for you. And then we'll also have things that are more open and where you can uh, share your, your, what you've been through. We just had an age group athlete that we shared a story about who went, who used uh, our sport to overcome really severe mental health issues. One of our best elite athletes and Olympians, um, Sarah True, has come out and talked about her mental health issues. I think it's really healthy because, again, as you talked about the integration and connection between age group athletes and elite, um, that's, again, one way that we can utilize our elite athletes to tell the story to age groupers to let them know they're not alone. Yeah, I think that you know, it's definitely, like you, like you mentioned, it's it's been something that has always been there, but in recent years has come to the forefront, especially within, you know, Olympic sports like yours. You know, Michael Phelps has been super open about, you know, his struggles with depression. Like it's it's definitely something that, um, you know, has been more um, open and available. And I think, like you said, you know, it helps your elite athletes, but it also lets your amateur athletes know that it's, it's not something that, you know, that they're alone in and that other people are also going through this. So, yeah, so it's like really great. when you said that, just remind, I mean, this is the way I like working in sport, right? It's not a, the wins and losses are great. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm as competitive as anyone in the world, but for me, it's the impact we can have on society and people who look at sport for either a release in their life or they see something in sport that either inspires them to do something different, motivates them. And our sport is is uh, the perfect sport for that because we're a health and well-being company. Um, we're an experiential company and a sport that, that, that allows people to become the best version of themselves. But we're also one that stands on the right side of societal issues. And I think that when you, when you talk about mental health, um, you know, it, it's allowing high profile people like Michael Phelps to say that it's okay not to be okay and that we all need some help at certain times uh, takes the burden off uh, a regular person like me or you to, to that you know to feel like we're alone. Uh, it shows that hey there's other people going through even Michael Phelps is going through this and I think that just uh, it helps eliminate the barrier to go and get help. And that's a really cool thing about working in and around sport is it's not just about the games or the events. It's about the the and I always say this to my team, my staff and people I work with is my most memorable moments from my career have very little to do with competition. It's, uh, you know, the time that we went to New York after 9-11 and we were, you know, played our the first NFL game there. The 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 time when we hosted, you know, I don't know. 30,000 people at the Astrodome uh, when Hurricane Katrina happened. Um, there, it, it's just all those, uh, the things that happen around sport where sport can make an impact on society. And I think right now with the mental health movement, we can really make a positive impact. Along those lines, I know that you also have your Together We Thrive um, initiative that's working to increase inclusivity um, and diversity in uh, the multi-sport community. What are the challenges that uh, traditionally have faced that community in terms of inclusivity and, and what steps is USA Triathlon doing to, to try to rectify those? Yeah, so um, historically our sport has been a sport based on equality, but it's gender equality. 
Um, and so the focus early on, which I think is amazing, is that we are one of the few sports who started from day one with equal distances, equal prize money, everything being equal. And we've seen the result of that. We're, you know, in America right now, we have 40 percent of our, our members are female, 60 um, percent are male. And, and what most people would consider a male dominated sport, it's actually not. Um, we're a very uh, welcoming and inclusive sport. So we do a great job welcoming people into our community. What we lack is diversity and diver uh, and really diversity among people of color. Um, and, and, and that's really where our focus is. And, and a lot of that, there's, there's history. It's, there's you know, uh, systems and structures in our country from pools being segregated early on to, um, to you know, uh, the fear of swimming among certain communities and not being introduced to swimming. I think what USA Swimming's done over the last 20 years is really gonna help us too. But we have not, uh, because of our history, because of the nature of our three sports, the, the disciplines that make up our sport, um, we, are, we only have like 14 or 15% of our population are people of color. And that and what our aspiration and goal is, is to have our sport represent the demographics of America and look like America in order for us to be a large scale, um, you know, uh, mass uh, participatory following among spectators and fans. Um, we have to represent America. So we spent a lot of time trying to focus on becoming more diverse through programs. And we actually, I'm really proud the last, the three, my first three years here, uh, we've won, there's one award that goes out from the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee for, it's called the Diversity and Inclusion Award. And we've won it for three years in a row for our efforts. Um, we've committed to historically black colleges and university. This is long before uh, George Floyd's death. Um, we understood that we had a problem in our sport and that we as a leadership level had to fix it. I'll give you a few other examples. Our, our board of directors was uh, predominantly male and all uh, Caucasian. Um, now we have our first two African-American members. We have a Hispanic member. We have more females than males. Our last board president was a female. Our current board president's an elite para a triathlete, the first in, uh, elite para athlete in the Olympic movement to be president of a national governing body. So we're li living it from the highest level and we're hoping over time that impacts diversity in our sport. What we're not trying to do is exclude all the people who've been in our sport. This is an additive. This is about growing the sport among populations that haven't seen a home for themselves in our sport. And th that's through representation, through all the different good things you need to do to create a diverse sport. So when people get to our sport, we're a very welcoming community. We welcome them in. So that's not the issue. And that's the issue in many sports and businesses is the well that we have that. What we we don't have is diversity. So we're creating all of these programs to be able to increase diversity because we know once they get into our sport, they're going to be welcomed with open arms. Yeah. And you also mentioned the the Paralympic aspect and you talked a little bit about it earlier about um, you know, your successes within those. And it I think that that's also an area where uh, that's gotten a little bit more recognition recently. You know, NBC uh, is going to have, you know, unprecedented coverage of the Paralympics this year. Um, what, what are you most proud of on, on that area and what you um, and your fellow governing bodies have been able to accomplish uh, with, the, with uh, para-athletes? Yeah, I'm thrilled about M NBC's commitment to, to air the, the the Paralympics. It's critical for for the growth of sport and really equality in our country. Right, the 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 
and I would say this comes from the leadership of the uh, United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. They used to be the United States Olympic Committee, if you remember, just I think in the last two years added Paralympic and they've made a commitment from the top down that they're going to treat uh, our, our para athletes the same as they would able-bodied athletes. And their commitment is shown through the NBC partnership. I'm actually the NGB representative on the uh, on the PAC Para Advisory Council. So I'm the one that helps, you know, one of the people who helps drive awareness around this and drive and push to create equality. So it's really exciting to see that it's starting to pick up, that we're seeing momentum around it. And I want to just let everyone know this isn't just about really good stories and emotional like connections to these people who've overcome a lot. That's part of this. Um, it's really about seeing these elite level athletes who just happen to have a disability. So these are adaptive athletes that like if they weren't didn't lose a limb in war or they didn't have an issue of, you know, somebody losing their eyesight to cancer as a kid, they would probably be elite athletes at, at, on the national team. They just happen to have an impairment that makes them go into a different <laughs> grouping. So I, I think that we need to treat them uh, as and, and elevate their athleticism, because I'll tell you what, running on a prosthetic leg is a lot harder than running uh, on, on you know two legs. Right. And so that's that's what I think we have to look at them as pure athletes who also have good stories, not as people who have good stories who happen to do sport. And I think when we make that shift as a country, that's when it's really going to elevate uh, parasport, adaptive sport across America. Great. Well, Rocky, I really appreciate your time. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, before we go, I want to give you the opportunity to share your, your going for it moment. I know that we've talked about um, you know, some of the different stops that you've had along the way, but uh, wanted to give you the opportunity to share a moment from your career where you've kind of taken that risk and, and stepped out of your comfort zone? Yeah, there's been a bunch. I think if you want to be uh, successful, you have to take a lot of chances and risks, um, calculated risks, but ones that make you feel uncomfortable. Because I would say that every job I've started, I felt very uncomfortable going in. Um, and then I fake it for a little while and then I, I, I have it down and then I'm good, right? Yeah. Um, but the one that really, I think, was the most eye-opening for everyone who knows me is I, I was really, my dream was to become a, a public relations director in the NFL. And after working at the 49ers and then becoming the PR director, communications director at the Texans, um, I started looking for more and looking for more opportunities, not to like, you know, but more to learn and grow. I felt like I'd stopped learning, even though I reached my, my ultimate goal. I think I was like 26. I was really young when I reached that goal. And so I started asking uh, really the, the president, at the Texans, Jamie Roots and others for, okay, what else can I do? So I started working on like marketing initiatives and doing all these things to try to help. And then uh, I ended up uh, being introduced to the CEO at Reliant Energy through a long story I won't tell now because we're short on time. And, and I was offered a job uh, in, to go work in corporate America. And uh, to go to the, from the NFL, my dream to take a jump to corporate America, I was actually told by one of my mentors that this is a death trap. You're actually, your career's over now. You're not gonna ever be able to get into sport again. Good luck. But for me, what I was missing was the business acumen, the learning about how to operate the business is at the highest level and not just be a marketing or PR person who understands one part of one very high profile business, but small business compared to other big businesses. So I took the leap and I decided to go in and run the sponsorships and some marketing and digital and other things for a Fortune 500 company. Um, huge risk. Um, but I would say during my time in corporate America, I learned more um, than I did in the rest of my career. 
um, because I learned how to operate a business from people way smarter than me who knew uh, really they were, they were probably 10 years ahead of pro sports at the time in terms of their business acumen and how they could operate. Now pro sports has changed. It's, it's evolved and it's, it's caught up. Um, but that was a huge leap of faith on myself and like deciding to make the big jump out of the NFL, my dream to learn more, to, to become a better professional and sport professional. So I did it and it paid off. And, and I feel like I wouldn't be where I am today without that major risk, major risk. So I'd say I don't recommend everyone do that. You have to have a real reason for it. Um, and my reason was I felt like I couldn't grow any for I could keep growing up in the NFL and be vice president of communications uh, or whatever. But it wasn't about advancing my career at that point. It was about advancing my knowledge and understanding of how everything interconnects. And I thought I'd be able to use that if I ever became in a position I'm in today where I'm overseeing an entire organization. Well, great. I really appreciate that, Rocky. Great story. Um, best of luck in Tokyo. Uh, and thanks again for this conversation. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I really enjoyed it. Once again, thanks to Rocky Harris and USA Triathlon. Best of luck this summer in Tokyo and beyond. Going For It is a production of Professional Sports Partners. You can find more about us at professionalsportspartners.com or by following us on Twitter at PSP Sports MKTG or on Instagram and Facebook at Professional Sports Partners. For everyone at PSP, I'm Ben Crook. We'll see you next time.